can make mean it's long for home and it's a crying shame I just yourself to blame every morning when the sun comes up you stand in your cage like a little pup you wait for the man Step outside to greet I raise a wife It's a crying shame Late at night When all the killers are down I hear the teardrops splashing on that concrete dangerous game they cry for their own pain a razor wide pain watch it gleam on that sunny day attempting you to try beyond your way you try to swagger like you don't care but you're always under that wires Raise a wife It's a scary Say hello, I'm John Kane, and I welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Saturday, August 10th. August 10th. I know you don't know this, but it's uh, it's our birthday. <laughs> Today is our the ninth anniversary of our first show, our first Let's Talk Native show. So I, uh, I welcome you to uh, well, it's, it's a bit of a special uh, special night for for me anyway. Um, when I started this nine years ago, I didn't know that I'd still be doing it. And uh, look, I I'm going boldly into our tenth year uh, for uh, as we close out this this nine years. And, uh, and who knows? Maybe we'll do another ten. We'll, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, while this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage and in some cases start conversations. We don't do prayers and we don't do buffalo speeches. We take a tough look at our history, uh, oppression, survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity. And we may step on a few toes along the way. But our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We will take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that is heaped upon us. And we do it all right here, live from the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk native. But first, let me remind people that our audio streams at www.letstalknative.com. And we stream video of the show on our Facebook group pages via Facebook Live. Our shows are available as podcasts on your favorite podcast platform after our broadcast. And we post video of the show on our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. I encourage you to subscribe to our podcast and subscribe to our uh, our YouTube channel. I am the host of Let's Talk Native, and I am assisted by Jake Proud here in studio, who is managing our video and our sound. 
Um, so let me first, again, I've got to acknowledge that we've been doing this uh, for nine years. This is, our, uh, again, the anniversary of our, uh, of our you know, uh, nine years doing this, doing this. We started out um, on an AM radio station in, uh, in Buffalo uh, at WECK. We eventually moved to a, a bigger broadcaster, a part of the Intercom Communications family of stations, and we went to a WWKB, and that was a 50,000-watt station. We were picking up people all the way from Hartford, Connecticut, who were listening to us. Before we had any Internet access or anything else, these, these were people who were just picking us up uh, via the radio, and uh, we expanded that to a, to a, uh, a two-hour show. Eventually, we... Um, I, I well first I, I went on to uh, to do a show also in New York. Uh, that one is, uh, is is just called Let's Talk. It's a talkback show. <clears throat> so I do that once a, once a week, and then I expanded the two hour show uh, at WWKB to two one hour shows, and uh, that's what we're doing here out of our own studios on the Cattaraugus uh, territory in Seneca Nation. And we are primarily on the internet, although there are a couple of stations, uh, 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 native radio stations. They carried the program, a couple in Tandanega, Real People's Media, and uh, the Gway in Tandanega. Uh, we're on a couple of internet uh, radio stations, including Netroots Radio. And, and of course, we, uh, we stream the show Facebook Live, as I said. We are, you, it is easy to catch our show. You just have to, have to want to look for it. And, and, of course, we've been doing this for, again, this, is, this closes out nine years of Let's Talk Native. And uh, with no suggestion that we're, that we're anywhere near finished. It seems like as we go forward, there's more and more to do. There's more and more to talk about. Um, look, we couldn't do this if we didn't have really good support from, uh, from sponsors. Uh, some sponsors that, that were helping us, especially when we were on commercial radio. And we were paying a pretty large price for, the, uh, for airtime on commercial radio. We, uh, we had... You know, quite a few people here, especially in Seneca territory, um, uh, both on Tonawanda and in Allegheny and and Cattaraugus, who were sponsoring uh, sponsoring us then. We now are down to a, just a handful of sponsors, but without those who have sponsored us in the past and the ones who continue to sponsor us, we wouldn't be able to do what we do here. And as we enter in our into our tenth year of Let's Talk Native, uh, I find that the conversations we're having are even more and more necessary. Uh, nobody ever dreamed when we started this thing nine years ago that we would see a Donald Trump as a president. Uh, we we couldn't have anticipated such a thing. Uh, we did see right from the beginning a uh, an uptick in uh, racism uh, um, as a result of, of the first black president being elected, and of course Native people we uh, uh, we feel the pinch of uh, of racism. Constantly, our the racism towards Native people is sometimes a little different. It's a little off. It's it's strange that we have people on the left who seem to be enamored with with Native people, uh, but still seem to manage um, to to hold on to uh, uh, some racist beliefs as it relates to the Native people. And we got people on the right who uh, who who just love to say they honor Native people with mascots and you know with you know decking themselves out with uh, with with jewelry and, and appropriating, you know, various uh, pieces of our culture for themselves. Um, and so we see that on the left and we see it on the right. And, and of course, on both sides, we, 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 you know, again, we coin a phrase here that racism isn't a right thing. It's a white thing. And, and we see that all the time. Um, I, as a subject matter for tonight's show, I'm going to talk a little bit about white supremacy, but not quite the way you probably 
are used to hearing about it. But uh, again, I want to. Uh, I, I have to acknowledge not only the sponsors of this show, but the listeners and the and those who have been following me on Facebook back when I was um, only blogging. Um, uh, then when I began at WECK, when I was writing for the Two Row Times on a weekly basis, uh, those of you who've been following my my posts, my columns, my uh, my commentary, my you know my my Twitter feeds, my memes, and my shows, um, I appreciate that, and I appreciate your interaction with that. And and I know I realize you know to support what I do is um, sometimes comes at a cost because I'm not necessarily expressing you know popular or comfortable truths i do try to base my opinions on truth and uh and if i get it wrong i'll be the first one to admit it uh i try to you know make sure i verify the facts that that i use to support my opinions but even with even with those facts those uncomfortable and tough facts i know it's sometimes hard to um to fully embrace the opinions that i express here so i appreciate those of you who will take the time to listen, even if you don't fully embrace the views that I, you know, that I espouse here. At least you're listening and you're having a conversation, and maybe that conversation continues. It continues in your in your family, in your community, uh, uh, you know, with perhaps people who you are involved with politically, native politics, non-native politics, you know, people that you're involved with in the community, native, non-native. That's the whole point. The reason I do this show is to have the conversation that nobody else is, uh, is having. To bring up a perspective that isn't the Native perspective, but it is a Native perspective, and it is a perspective that I have developed because of the relationship that I have with uh, with being Native, with being involved in Native communities, and being involved, being an activist. Um, it, isn't, it, it isn't easy to do this, but it's, uh, but it's something that that comes naturally for me and that's why i do this show so i want to i want to thank all of you who support the show whether you support it by listening whether you support it by sharing whether you support it by sponsoring i want to thank all of you and uh and and again this is not um you know this this is not a conclusion this is the end of nine years with uh with the plans to do much more we've done uh, you know a fair um a bit of uh, renovation to our studio we have the capability to have more guests in studio. I'm still hoping that somewhere along the line, the, um, somebody will sign up to be uh, to be a co-host and uh, and to join me on a on a on a twice a week or or maybe once a week or once a month. Um, I I'm hoping that that some younger person, somebody who would offer a perspective that perhaps perhaps uh, uh, would offer the female perspective, uh, and certainly offer a perspective from. Uh, from somebody younger um so but you know so that that offer is still out there yeah and, but i do have to say i not only do i thank the the sponsors and the listeners but i have to i have to say a, a thanks to the to the guests whether it's the, you know, the guests that have only been on the show uh one or two times over the you know over the years or the regular guests matt hill uh ed schindler uh paul delarone um you know uh my my good friend uh, Sugar Montour, who is no longer with us, who was a big part of the show right from the beginning. Uh, my friend Ross John, who not only sponsors the show but makes a makes an appearance from time to time. So I want to thank all of you who who contribute, whether you contribute with with content, uh, with you know, financial support, or with uh, with just sharing it. So um, I, again, I'm 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 happy that we've made it this far, uh, and I think after you know completing nine years of let's talk native i think uh at very least i can say uh, we we've um 
we've disproved any of the doubters, put it that way. And we are here to stay, and we're going to keep doing what we do. And and my hope at some point, and you know, let, let's talk native becomes a bit of a brand, and and that uh, you know, at some point, we hand the torch off, and and the show continues. There there needs to be a constant dialogue that uh, that prov- uh, and, and a platform to provide a native perspective, one that isn't being spoon fed by by somebody who has been assimilated by by somebody who's in, uh, totally involved in, in native governments or or, or you know religious uh, ideologies, uh, you know somebody who's who's willing to provide um, critical thinking uh, and ob- an objective view to uh, to much of what we face. And somebody who's not necessarily tied into, you know, um, you know, American patriotism and 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 all of that. So um, uh, we're going to continue to do what we do. So again, I want to thank you guys for for being a part of the show all these years. All right, now let me get into it. All right, so there is little doubt that some people, white people in particular, really think they're better than everybody else. And you know, and look, you know, white people uh, are. You, statistically are wealthier they um you know they they live a more affluent life i'm not saying they live a happier life but they certainly live a more affluent life and if you look at the the richest people in the united states or the richest people in the world for that matter most of them are white and so there's clearly an aristocracy uh, amongst white people and and white people you know, dominate what you would consider the aristocrat class of uh, of people in the world um the, but while there are people who think that they're better than everybody else that is like an individual conceit that's like the, a, a you know personal narcissism you know guys like donald trump you know does he believe he's better than everybody else absolutely he does but i don't believe that most white people believe that white people are racially superior to all other peoples of the of, of the planet i think that that's pretty much been debunked now and that's not to say that white people don't have a sense of entitlement or, or white privilege that was born out of centuries of promoting this this white supremacy and of course you know religion has a big part of it uh colonization has a big part of it uh um you know, war has a big part of it i mean the idea of an, an inflicting casualties on people i mean look there's a lot of reasons that that white people have um are a lot of ways, not I say reasons, but a lot of ways that white people have asserted dominance. But I think that we're at a place now that we can pretty much agree and pretty much concur that that the idea of white supremacy, that white people are racially or genetically somehow superior to you know people of color, native people, black people, you know, uh, Hispanics, whatever, that is, that's simply not true. However. <laughs> And this is the this is the part that gets tough. Well, I think white people are, are pretty much have, have understand that they are not genetically superior. They are really worried about their white privilege drifting away and and fading away. And so, what was white supremacy now slips into not only uh, what to do about their privilege, but white fragility, the fear that it's all going to go away. And not just the fear that their privilege is going to go away, but the fear that they're going to be payback. You know, for all those people who who have been wronged at the hands of white supremacy, at the hands of you know a religious doctrine. There, you know, if there was ever has to be not just reparations, but 
If there ever has to be any payback for that, man, that would be hell to pay. But that's uh, that's not even where I'm going with the show. Where I'm going with this show is, yes, while, while I think white people pretty much know that they are not racially superior, I'm not sure the rest of us believe that. So what do I mean by that? Well, if you go specifically into, into native territories, and I don't care which native territory, you're going to find one of the highest uh, parts of their payroll goes to their legal department, their lawyers. So for all of these guys who get elected or appointed or, 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 or considered um, traditional governance, really, sitting right beside them is a lawyer. And that's usually a white guy. And and these governments, they not only have lawyers, but they have lobbyists, they have consultants, they have advisors, they have entire firms that they hire. And they're all white, predominantly. I don't know too many Native territories that have a black expert in Indian law defending, the, you know, uh, representing them uh, from, uh, as legal counsel. Now, not that there could be, but I just don't, I, I haven't seen too much of it. I'm not saying I've never seen it, because I have. I have seen it. I mean, even on the marketing, even the business side, I've seen a few. But predominantly, if you look at all of the paid professions that a native government um, signs up for, it's almost always white people. So we don't have our own native people. And, and when we do have native people who are, who are lawyers, the ones that we're drawn to are the ones who, frankly, are more like the white people. So even when we we do look for native um, professionals, we want to see that their credentials line up right with white people. That they went to Harvard, that they that they can stand toe to toe, that they set, that they can talk like white people, that they can dress like white people, they can they can pass, they can they can hobnob with white people. That's that's kind of what we go to. And I got to tell you. I'm sorry, but it's not just native governments either. If you look at most of the businesses on native territories, you're going to find the higher payer jobs and most of these businesses are white people. These are the ones. So the question ends up being is, do we not think our own people are capable? Again, look, and I, I've heard some of the criticisms. Look, I know that our people are, are troubled. You know, we, you know, we have substance abuse problems. We have uh, um, educational problems. When you consider all those things, that's still not to say that our people couldn't be competent and, and, and couldn't fill some of these positions or at least be phased into these positions. Even when I look at gaming, I mean, the, 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 the whole idea of gaming was that we were going to, you know, um, make um, opportunities for Native people. And that's not, it's never quite worked out. It's very, it's very rare that you're going to find that the, the CEO of a gaming corporation or a gaming operation is uh, is native in any of the any of the big native gaming venues. Now, as as I'm you know saying this about not just um, government businesses and and uh, and agencies, as I'm talking about private sector, I'm not saying all private sector in Indian, in Indian country. And I hate to use that word, but but I'm not saying that all private sector um, hires just white people. But there's an awful lot of it. There's an awful lot of it. And so it begs the question, do we think that white people are better? Do we think that they're smarter? That they're more competent? That they are 
better employees? And and frankly, if we if we believe that, maybe it's true. Are they better employees? And what and how do we determine that? So when we're when we're hiring these people to not only manage our politics, our our, our legal strategy, our business strategy, our our governmental policies to manage all of that stuff. Are we less confident that our own people can do that? Even as we, you know, I've, I've talked before on our previous shows about what happened to us, to our um, reputation as being statesmen. Are we statesmen anymore? Yeah, we've got, we've got native organizations. But what are our native organizations doing? Are, are they, is the main job of something like the uh, like National Congress of American Indian, is their main job to somehow pander to American politicians? You know, I, I saw the post today, uh, th- this week, praising that uh, that the Indian Child Welfare Act, the ICWA, was um, uh, de- ruled to, to be constitutional by a federal court in Texas because Texas was challenging whether ICWA, you know, wasn't uh, wasn't somehow racist and, and that it did it violate the U.S. Constitution. So ICWA withstood the legal challenge, and I guess there was some strong language from the judges, you know, condemning you know, um, Texas for trying to challenge this thing. But, you know, the, the question is being, so so we're not capable of creating an atmosphere where our children are protected, even if if a family is in trouble, that we need the federal government to pass legislation? We have to, we have to ask them to protect us? Because how's that going? Remember that, whole, that IGRA thing, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, where... They claimed to be passing this this gaming law that was supposed to protect us from organized crime and states, which are oftentimes the same thing. Well, how's that working out? That whole so-called trust responsibility that the, that the, the federal government's supposed to have to make sure that Native people are, tra- are treated fairly? Well, how's that working out? Not very well. So when we, when we, we look to these highly educated, these affluent white people, are we looking to them because we want to be like them? Or are we looking to them because we think that they can provide something that our own people can't provide? And after 30 years of gaming under the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act and and certainly business development that goes back lo- much longer ago than that, haven't we been able to develop some of these professional services or or, or you know whether they're <laughs> You know, whether professional services are provided by people with Harvard law degrees or not? Or are we just resigned within the belief that we just need white people? We need them, we need them to help us develop our, our, our policies and our strategies. We need them to, to help craft our resolutions. As it is, in some native territories, they can even pass a, a quote-unquote tribal resolution unless an Indian agent from the Bureau of Indian Affairs is there to, you know, to give them the okay or the seal or, or approve it. You know, and, and like I said, let me go back. Even as we look to the folks at the Interior Department, most of those people who are, who are uh, you know, these, these Washington Indians, they aren't that connected to our, to our territories anymore, to our people directly. They've created an, an entire careers out of being in the service of Native people to our liaisons. And, and I'm not sure if they're providing a service for us to the federal government or providing 
a service to the federal government, uh, you know, in, in hand delivering us. That's what I ask about things like lobbyists. Are lobbyists there to give us better access to the power brokers at the state and federal level? Or are they providing those powers that be access to ours? Are they giving the states ways to manipulate our strategy and our policy instead of the other way around? Because, look, in the overall scheme of things, what we pay for lobbying, what we pay in terms of campaign contributions, as much as I think it's it's all a waste, it pales by comparison. And, you know, and, and then politically, not only do we hire these white people that that advise us you know how to how to donate to to white politicians they'll say look we need to hedge our bets so you donate x tens of thousands of dollars to the democrats and then you donate x tens of thousands of dollars to the to the republicans well how is that not just a wash so tens of thousands hundreds of thousands millions of dollars are flowing out of the coffers that are supposed to be going to native people that are supposed to be buying some sort of political favor. And who suggests these strategies? Who suggests these expenditures? White people. These these white paid professionals. The ones that that we take a backseat to. Look, I know we have our chiefs and our chairmen and our presidents and our counselors, our executives and our legislators. But how many of them are really crafting the policy? I mean, who's doing our PR? I mean, who's writing you know, our press releases? Because I'll tell you, I've read some of them. Not just from Seneca territory, but I've read them from all over. I'm, look, I've read the press releases that came out of NCAI, and some of those things make you want to gag. They sound so sycophantic, so, you know, condescending to our own people, and so patronizing to the federal government. It just makes you wonder, what are these people thinking? And of course, it's laced with all kinds of, you know, you know, Christian overtones, submission. I mean, I've gone to some of these these conferences where they start off. The first thing they do is they bring out a you know somebody to pray, and I don't mean smudging and burning tobacco and you know and and doing some sort of Indian prayer. I mean, somebody's going to go in and start thanking their heavenly Father. How does that have anything to do with us gathering as native people? Look, I look, people can take their own their, their religious beliefs and, and do do what they want with them. But to have that imposed upon us, even as native people gather? Again, how much of that is indoctrination? How much have we accepted? And, and maybe it's, you know, uh, you know, what what do they what do they call it? A Stockholm syndrome, I guess. Maybe maybe it's some of that. I don't know. But when I talk about white supremacy, and realizing that white people don't even believe that anymore. But I wonder, do we? And I don't mean just Native people. Because I see this, look, I see this in, in black communities, in, uh, in, in communities of, of all ethnicities and races or whatever else, however you want to break people down, I guess. Where there's, there's a validation that we're looking for. We're looking for approval and validation from white people. We, we, we want somebody who's going to say, oh, yeah. Geez, that guy, he sure is articulate. What, because a native person or a person of color can speak? It's like, oh, well, that's unusual. Let, let's point that out. We'll, you know, there's nothing more insulting than to have some white person say, 
oh, I'm amazed you're so articulate. What the hell does that mean? Why? I'm not supposed to be? Or, or you know, or, you know, listen to some of the criticisms that come out against, you know, some of these, these women who are uh, become congressmen. AOC comes to mind. And, and some of what, you know, the, the criticisms. I mean, look, there is no unintel- more unintelligible person uh, in all of U.S. politics than, than the current president of the United States. This guy is an idiot. I mean, he is an idiot. I mean, you, you listen to this guy. He can't speak complete sentences. He has no, virtually no control of the English language. And he apparently can't even read. And this is the president of the United States. And yet, when you hear somebody of color who can can speak publicly, the first thing you hear is, oh, yes, he's so articulate. All right, hey, we're at the bottom of the hour. We're going to take a break. Can we come back? Uh, I'm going to, I want to go a little farther on this. I want, I want people to at least question where we um, view ourselves in relationship to, um, to, Again, to these affluent white people that we we seem to want to endear ourselves to. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. We'll be right back. from the past Do you hear my engine roll I'm a blast from the past Just let that engine roll And when you hear me coming I'll have that pedal on the floor Them northern lights are calling They're telling me to come on home This 53 is one, she keeps me rolling on. Do you hear my guitar play? I'm a blast from the past She slides from Houston to L.A. And when I stop playing They lay us both away I'm a blast from the past I need new strength, she needs oil All right, thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Hey, hey, that was a blast from the past by John McLeod. We opened up with Razor Wire at the at the beginning of the show. Another uh, great song by by John McLeod. Uh, John McLeod is a, a friend of mine uh, who has done some some great great music over the years. Uh, I I play a bunch of songs from his Three of a Kind CD. I encourage you to look for it. that's John McLeod 
uh, MC, M little C, L E O D. Look up John McLeod. Uh, he's a friend of mine. He's come to visit me in New York. In fact, he was on my show in New York. Um, by the way, my show in New York this week, I will have Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz joining me. We're going to talk a little bit um, more about the relationship between the Second Amendment and the push on the American colonies to put guns in the hands of their colonists right from the start, primarily to be used against Native people uh, in terms of acquiring more land and uh, uh, and and to be used against black people when it comes to fl- slave patrol. So it's no coincidence. When somebody says, you know, how is it that uh, that these white supremacists are, you know, you know packing so much heat and, and taking out these... Uh, you know, these actions against people of color. Well, when I hear people say that that's so un-American, I'm thinking, no, that's pretty American. That's that's pretty much the way uh, the way history has uh, has has charted its course. So, um, but anyway, so Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz will join me on Thursday. That's at four o'clock in New York City. That's on WBAI FM ninety nine point five in New York City, or on uh, at www.wbai.org. And of course. Just like with this show, we stream that show, a uh, video of that show uh, via Facebook Live on my, on my group pages. So, um, hey, look, if you're watching the show on Facebook, by all means, feel free to share the, the show to, you know, to your personal page, to your uh, whatever other group pages. And share it with, with friends that, that you think would appreciate the conversation, even if they don't agree with it, because I think that's the key here. The key is to, to expose people to a perspective that they may have ne- never heard before. They don't have to agree with it. They just should know that the, that the perspective exists. And, and of course, I'm asking you to help share the show because it seems like every time I share the show, I get, uh, I get booted from Facebook. So I don't know if I'm not supposed to share my own show or not, but there's, there's something going on there. Anyway, um, I, look, I, uh, appreciate some of the, the, uh, the well wishes and the, and the happy birthday wishes. Uh, I guess the show wasn't really born nine years ago, but that's when we started it. So I guess birthday works, I guess. Um, and after this, we will enter our 10th year of Let's Talk Native and we're going to keep, pounding at some of these things and look some of what we talk about is not popular what i'm talking about tonight look there are people that i'm sure uh are uncomfortable about me talking about how much money and power we yield to white people whether and again look i know this sounds racist to, to some people some people think well you're you're always talking about white people well look i'm not suggesting that 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 native people are racially superior to white people I'm just saying that they aren't racially superior to us. So when I look at the amount of uh, money, resources, and control that we yield to these lawyers, to these consultants, to these advisors, to these uh, to these lobbyists, and to the people that we hire, again, billion-dollar operations, they're not being run by Native people. No. Most of them are being run by, by white people. Now, and I'm not saying they're not competent business, uh, you know, managers. I'm not saying that they aren't, but I'm saying after this many years of being in the gaming industry, we haven't been able to cultivate some of our own people to to do some of these jobs. And you know, and, and again, even on the legal side of things, I don't just want a a lawyer who looks native, who has who doesn't who has no belief that we have the right or that we can be. Um, I, I want somebody who's, gonna, who's willing to, to accept the fact that, that we have strength in our autonomy and our distinction. That our job is not to find the loopholes in federal and state law to slip through. That we have the right and the obligation and responsibility to push back on state and, and federal controls. And not be, just because we have the legal right within their system, 
that we have the legal right based on our own laws, based on our own customs. Again, you try having a conversation with a lawyer about decolonization, and they'll just clam up. There's, there is, I've never seen one of these these attorneys as they're creating some of these uh, these legal arguments or strategies or even uh, points bullet points for negotiation that are willing to cite even the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, and that's not even a strong document. That's the, that's the the minimum standard that the rest of the the world has has agreed states nation states should recognize in terms of rights for indigenous people it doesn't have anything to do with with quote-unquote sovereignty or autonomy or statehood or distinction or distinction yes but but not not the real power to govern ourselves and that's part of the problem that's part of the problem so if we're gonna hire lawyers even if they're native lawyers if they if they can't combat these problems with with a with a a truly native perspective if their only jobs and, and look one of the one of the lawyers uh, who came to our territory um he represents uh, the company that makes Seneca cigarettes and he, and he stood before a bunch of native business persons and he said look my job here isn't to defend native sovereignty my i don't practice indian law he said he says my job is to is to point out when the state and the federal government are violating their laws as it applies to you. My only job, my only job is to find when they are abusing their legal authority. If you want to know about Indian law, if you want to know about sovereignty, he points to the back of the room and, he, and you know what he pointed to? He pointed to me. He says, talk to that guy. He's the one I talk to. And, and look, and I'm not saying any of this stuff because I'm trying to get hired by, you know, by, you know, by anybody. This is this is what I do. This is what I do. But I know that there are native people who can offer a truly native perspective when it comes to developing a strategy, whether it's a legal strategy or, or and forget the legal strategy, political strategy. You know, we we have to fight back about about taxation, not just because look, they don't have the legal right to tax us. We have to immediately accept and and stand on that principle now do they have the power to try to impose their taxes well currently they have and they have historically been able to assert their power over us and that's only because of power of aggression and and might not legal authority so we need to stand on on our own autonomy and our own distinction we don't have you're not going to hire a white consultant to do that you're not going to hire a pr firm that's going to help our messaging if they don't even know what our message is they're going to craft a message that plays well that has has the right demographic response to it that's not what we need we need somebody who can communicate who we are what our path is what our distinction is what our direction is but look, as long as we've got, we are dependent, so dependent on on, on these, these professional services that are essentially run by white people, as long as we're dependent on that, we don't even know what our message is. So I go back to that same question. Do we believe that we are inferior to white people? 
or just to these white people? Do we believe that they somehow they are smarter than us and that they have it all figured out? Because here's the thing. As we follow the strategies by the same people who would advise anybody else politically or legally, are we developing solutions to our problems or are we looking at what they have been doing for years that doesn't work? Does Indian Child Welfare, uh, does the Indian Child Welfare Act work? No, there's people constantly finding ways around it. I mean, you can find it, you know, look, whether, you know, look, we come out of the boarding school, the residential school era, which even then was stripping kids away from Native families and Native territories and placing them in white households. And they can make the argument, oh, yeah, that, that that's better for the child. And look, we could make the argument that taking a child out of an impoverished situation, ignoring the fact why there's the, the impoverished situation in the first place, but if, we can, if we're going to argue the fact that we, by taking that child out of poverty and putting it into a white family of affluence, that's better for the child. That's better for that that life, perhaps, for that child. But that child no longer is is who is of the people that they, they were stripped from. So you may have saved that child, but you're hurting the people. And you're, and you're hurting that child at the same time because you're stripping them of tens of thousands of years of, uh, uh, of, of cultural um, ancestry. So you, you take that and, and, you, and, you, and you wipe that database clean and you turn that, that, that brown-skinned child into, into a white person. And, and, and I've got to tell you, <laughs> so what does that, that, what does that brown-skinned child become? That becomes the native lawyer that we hire later on who has no connection to, to our territories. That becomes the native person who makes it into the media, the native person who becomes the author and the, and the, the journalist. Look, I'm not saying there are no native people who, um, uh, you know, who succeed. Because there are. But I'll tell you, if you look at most of the quote-unquote successful native people in, in any of these professional services, in professional fields, you're going to find very, very, very few of them grew up on a native territory. Very, very few of them. So, even when we think that we're doing the right thing. And and I'm not saying hiring a Native person who grew up in the city, who grew up with affluence. I'm not saying they can't uh, they can't provide services to us, but let's not pretend that they have the same experience that those are, look, we're trying to protect something. As Native people, as Native as Native governments, you're supposed to be trying to preserve a distinct people. Otherwise, you're just buying into the whole municipalization of our territories. I mean, look, as it is, I guarantee you go into any native territory, U.S. or Canadian side, either side of that imaginary line, you're going to see more red and white flags and more red and white, blue, red, white, and blue flags. And let me specify, you're going to see more American flags and Canadian flags flying on those communities, in those territories. Then you're going to see, you know, unity flags, Hiawantha Belt flags, Seneca Nation flags. I mean, even even at Standing Rock, in the height of all of the the conflict in Standing Rock, I remember seeing a picture of the Standing Rock tribal headquarters, and I think they had eight American flags, not just one, not just one American flag, but eight of them 
flying in front of their headquarters. So, you know, again, I am not suggesting that white people are superior to us. And I'm not suggesting that any of the lawyers, lobbyists, advisors, consultants, you know, um, executive presidents, vice presidents, and uh, managers, that any of them are superior to, to our people. And to the extent that we, we rely on any of those, those professional services, if we don't, look, we talk about schools, schooling sometimes. If we don't teach our children about our true history, and if we don't empower our people by, by providing an accurate account of who we are, and the fact, yes, yes, we've been abused. Yes, genocide has been inflicted upon our people. Oppression, racism. But we survive it all. And we're still here. But if, if we're going to say being here just means that we have to assimilate even more, with every census that occurs, every election that takes place, when I hear even the, even guys like, you know, people like Suzanne Harjo and Oren Lyons telling everybody, oh, go out and vote. Vote in their system? Really? That's you think is the solution? No, we need to empower our people, especially our young people. But if we don't include a reinforcement of our own identity in our children, and then we don't in- include it in our in, in everything else that we do, including how we govern. If we don't look for unique native solutions to the problems that plague our people. If we only look to the outside, well, we're going to mirror what the state does. We're going to have a state licensing commission just like the, you know, or we're going to have a a native licensing commission just like the state has. Well, how's that worked out? We're going to have a court system just like the, the state and the counties have, the federal government. Well, how's that working out? Next thing you know, we have police that's like theirs. And you know whose laws they're enforcing? They're not, we don't even have a, you know, a, a judicial or penal code on, on any of our territories, except for the ones that we, we adopted from the state and the federal government. So if we only take the failed systems that we're usually fighting against and what, dust them off and put a, you know, you know, put native logos on them. So, so we take an abusive cop and we take their uniform and then we stick it on one of our people and then we say, we want you to act like that guy. Well, how did that solve anything? If we're not going to come up with, with our own solutions to the drug problem, to the education problem, to the, to, to the, you know, the economic issues. Look, you know, the reason I talk so much about the Seneca Nation battle within, with the state over, over gaming revenue is because the state is stealing They've already they've already gotten a billion and a half dollars, and have and have come nowhere near providing anything close to that value. And they still want to squeeze. I'm, I'm reading newspaper articles even this week. State legislators on both sides, Republicans and Democrats, saying, "Why? Well, when's this governor going to stand up to the Senecas and make them pay what they owe?" I mean, uh, I don't even know who the legislator is, but this woman going on and on about how. There, there are state licensed gaming facilities that are being put out of business by the Seneca Nation. Wait a second. 
Why do those state licensed facilities even exist within a market that is impacted by the Seneca Nation? If the Seneca Nation paid a billion and a half dollars for exclusivity, then why the hell are those businesses even in existence? See, if we don't have that conversation, and and you know what? That conversation barely takes place any place. I don't hear a whole lot of Seneca's talking about it. You know, and, and I don't hear Mohawks and Aquasasi talking about it, or Oneidas and, and Oneida. And and when when the IRS comes banging on the Longhouse door in Onondaga, we don't get a full report on what took place then. The Onondagas were, were manufacturing a, a cigarette brand. They shut it right down. They never even explained, well, well, well here was the strategy that we, we tried to employ, and, and here's why it failed. No, they just they just caved. And so we, we don't get an explanation. But I'll tell you, if you look across, quote-unquote, Indian country, the most iconic native voices, images, figures in, in, in quote-unquote, Indian country, what makes them iconic? I'll tell you what makes them iconic. The following of white people. So you measure, look, this is, you know, uh, our anniversary show. We completed nine years of Let's Talk Native. And am I a viral sensation? Hell no, I'm not a viral sensation. But I'm not trying to produce videos and podcasts that that are, are, are trying to appeal to the to the masses. No, that's not what we're doing here. I'm trying to provide something that doesn't exist. And something for those people who want to hear these conversations. Uh, look, you know, I I I'm sometimes amazed when I get that that new viewer and they said, "Wow, I've never heard anything like this before." I've been doing it for 9 years. And, and look, uh, you, my shows are available. And and I and I share the shows. I make them available. And look, a couple of other radio stations carry the show. Um, and and again, we're on all the podcast platforms. And and again, I encourage the conversation. And I don't just. Uh, I realize, uh, you know, I, I get into battles with some people on Facebook and on Twitter sometimes. I know that people don't don't agree with some of the the sentiments that I express here. I know there's a fair number of native people. I, I, I was going at it pretty good with somebody on the the uh, news from Indian Country page. Because he was referring to uh, to these 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 poor people seeking asylum in the United States, crossing over onto Navajo territory, and he, and he referred to them as invaders. Sounded just like Trump, just like a Trump follower. Now this guy claimed to be Dene, claimed to be Navajo, but I'm not. That's that's not somebody who I'm 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 gonna um, concede to. When when he uses languages language like that, that's gonna you know, cast people out. So look, I'm willing to I'm willing to stand up for what I think is right. Um, even if I got to stand up against uh, you know against other native people. That's we have to fix our own houses first. I say it all the time. We need a stronger sense of community. I don't care who the next president is. I almost say I have no thoughts about it. But Donald Trump might get reelected. And why? Because because there is a strong level of racism within the United States and Canada and other places. 
Why, how does a guy, guy like Donald Trump, an ignorant moron like Donald Trump, get, get elected? It isn't because of white supremacy. It's because of fear. I mean, there, there are white people who know that, that the myth of white supremacy has finally been busted, even if our people don't know that. And they know that that privilege that came out of that, the fact that you know most of the rich people are white, most of the politicians are white, most of uh, the people who control media are white, they know it, at some point more and more of that slips away. I mean, a funny little story. I don't know if you, if you heard this one, but um, uh, a rapper by the name of Lil Nas uh, produced a, 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 a single called uh, Old Town Road. <laughs> and and it started rising on the Billboard country charts. And the Billboard country charts said, no, we're not having it. They banned the song from from being being played. And even the local country music station here in, in Buffalo never, has never played the song. I've never heard the song played. Why? Because he was black and he was a rapper. That, so, I mean, so those systems that are in there are control. So, and, and I got to give give some you know some props to some of the country singers who stepped up and said no. Billy Ray Cyrus ends up ends up uh, recording the song, re-recording the song with Lil Nas, and it, and it ends up you know topping the charts that it can be on. In fact, they even performed on, at their country musical awards, whatever the last ones that were on. Um, you know, Keith Urban did a did a version of it with banjo, and and so I mean, that makes white people even more scared. Black people doing country music, the 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 gall of it all. I mean, the idea that that you have you know black people becoming um, taking over the sports that were traditionally white, hockey, swimming, some of these. I mean, that scares. I mean, look as it is. I mean, white people feel like they 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 you know lost baseball, <laughs> they they lost basketball, they've they've lost football, so now all they, all they can do is be ravenous fans, because because uh, black people have taken over the sports, and that concerns them. There is, I mean, when I talk about white fragility, maybe I need to be more clear. This isn't just about white people being fragile. That guy who goes to El Paso and shoots up a bunch of, kill, murders a bunch of Mexicans, injuring a bunch of Mexicans, he didn't do that because he was brave. He did that because he's a coward. He did that because he's scared. He, I mean, and he literally can look at a woman and a child and, and view them as an invader. Somebody who's coming to take his country away. Even though they're a, they're a person of color. They're an indigenous, they're, they are people who have an ancestry of thousands of years of, of migratory patterns in, uh, on these, on this, in, the, in this hemisphere. But this white man says, no, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot him down. I'm going to murder those people because I don't want to lose the white power in this country. They know they don't have white supremacy. They know they don't. They they they're not genetically superior or racially. They're not in, more intelligent. But they got lots of guns. They've got lots of money. They control the industries. Look at look at the uh, the number of corporations. I just saw it listed on on Facebook earlier today. All these corporations that are sponsoring, that are donating in a big way to Donald Trump's campaign. McDonald's, Wendy's. Pizza Hut, 
Taco Bell. I mean, look, it isn't just the you know the Denny's the the the, uh, um, the Chick Fil A's. Of course, they're going to donate to, to Trump or the Papa John's pizza. Yeah, and there's those racist uh, you know jerks. It's every place that you go. There's a fair amount of look. I mean, look at all the Confederate flags you see flying in in in, in New York, not just Western New York, all over. Look, this is um, this is why I say we cannot rely on that system to secure our uh, our future, our future as Native people, and, and frankly, all people of color. You have you have better understand that you have to have a commitment, and I'm not saying this about identity politics. I'm not trying to pass off native people as a voting block in the American system. No, I'm saying forget that. But as a as a distinct people, if you want to maintain that distinction, you're not going to buy it from US politicians. I mean, anybody who thinks the fact that that ICWA, Indian Child Welfare Act was declared constitutional, all that means is that the federal government and the federal courts have determined that there can be a a racial preference to who takes who takes control of a child, who takes custody of a child. So the federal government makes that determination. We didn't make that determination. They made it. And we're supposed to praise that? I don't know, folks. We have got the first thing that we as Native people got better get used to is the idea that we are not inferior to the powers around us. They don't have they don't have it figured out. Their system sucks. Every part of it, their tax system, their their financial system, their system that's supposed to protect people from uh, their health system, their environmental systems. None of their systems work. So we shouldn't emulate them, and we damn sure should not be relying on them to to create the policies and 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 to reshape our system. We are not inferior, and they are not superior. Again, this is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. This is our um, our ninth anniversary. Nine years ago today was our first Let's Talk Native, and I'm uh, I'm grateful to those who, who who are checking us out now. And uh, we're going to go forward as we enter our our tenth year uh, with our very next show. So thank you for listening, and thanks for hanging out hanging out with us. Yahweh.